Welcome to the Hired Geek Podcast. I'm Dustin Ramsdell, and every week I'm having conversations with influential hired leaders about the work they're doing, the impact they're making, and how you too can better implement technology to support student success. For our episode today, we have the honor of having the president of an institution on, which is uh, kind of a rare treat for for us here at Hired Geek. So really excited to get that kind of perspective here with everything else that we get, you know, from ed tech folks and other organizations and, you know, policymakers and all these sort of things. So really excited for this conversation. Our guest has a unique background and just kind of talking about the work they're doing the College of Charleston. So President Shu, if you want to introduce yourself briefly, kind of go over your background and everything, and then we'll get into the rest of the questions that we have to cover. Sure, Dustin. Thank you for having me here. Such an honor to be a guest here. My name is Andrew Shu. I'm the president, 23rd president at the College of Charleston. My background is, is somewhat unusual for a liberal arts college like ours in the sense that I was trained as an aerospace engineer and and got my PhD in aerospace engineering from Georgia Tech and then actually worked in industry for about 11 years before I finally saw the light and, and decided to switch to academia. So worked in academia for 26 five, 26 years by now and uh, worked through the ranks and uh, worked as a dean, uh, engineering dean, uh, provost at, at other institutions and, and came to the College of Charleston in 2019, right before the pandemic. Do you feel like there's something from your background in aerospace engineering and stuff that you like still use, like just sort of like maybe a, a way that you think or interact with others or something? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's most mostly a way of thinking. You know, as an engineer, you you tend to see it's like if you have a hammer, you, you see everything as nails, and and when you are an engineer, you see um, every problem a good engineering problem. So I tend to still view things that way, and and so getting into any situation, I would first collect data and analyze the situation and and try to to make decisions based on data and so forth. So very much still serving me well, that background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, for me, and I'm sure I've said this many times in the podcast, but like my history major from undergrad, I feel like it's the idea of like seeking context for just like, you know, how things are, or why things are and all that. So yeah, it's just always good, I think, to have that self-awareness for whatever your discipline is, even if you've like veered far away, there's like some part of it at your core that, you know, uh, is still there. So you mentioned coming to the College of Charleston in 2019, certainly just a tumultuous time in the world, you know, in the U.S. I wasn't uh, spared for any of that with the pandemic and everything. So most of that, I think, you know, is in kind of the rearview mirror. We've, we're moving on and sort of taking the lessons and everything, you know, from that period of time. So from your perspective, what are things like as an institution or yourself, you know, what are lessons that you learned? Like what, what did that period of time teach you? Sure. Uh, so, Dustin, I, I, I mean, uh, that was indeed a tumultuous time and, and, you know, it's a very difficult time. In fact, I think the lessons that we learned is really as an institution, we have to be flexible, we have to be nimble, we have to ready, be ready to make uh, changes, adapt to the situation. We also have to be patient, I guess, have a 
a good sense of humor and, and not, you know, you know, always be optimistic. As the college, the College of Charleston has been uh, very fortunate in that we not only did not let the pandemic stop us from developing a, a new strategic plan and implement a strategic plan. We actually used the opportunity to help us accelerate some of our efforts. You know, so so the, the other lesson that we learned, I would say, is, you know, as people would say, never let a good crisis go to waste. For example, during my first year on campus, we developed a a 10-year strategic plan with a campus with roadmaps that would enhance our institution. And our goal was to make it a national university known for its academic excellence. And, and we used the opportunity or, or the pandemic opportunity uh, to basically uh, beef up our recruitment effort and, and in telling a better story while others are were busy trying to shut down and, and so forth, we actually opened right back up that fall and, and we actually enhanced our campus visit, uh, campus tours, while others are canceling campus tours all over the country. So a, a quick example of, of that is the student interest in the College of Charleston, in coming to the College of Charleston, has increased tremendously over a very short period of time over the just the four years, our application numbers went from twelve thousand uh, to now twenty seven thousand applications, and and so that's just one example. But we have made uh, positive uh, progress, and and really we're riding a, a lot of positive momentum in, in many areas, especially in terms of vis- visibility enrollment, philanthropy, academic, new academic programs, and so forth. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of like, and that it's just awesome to hear just that, you know, you're kind of making investments and seeing sort of the, the outcomes of it, you know, what that's producing for, you know, interest in the institution and everything, because like, the idea of knowing that a differentiator that you have or something that's unique, or that you really just value as an institution is that like residential experience or sort of, you know, just the liberal arts model versus other institutions that might just sort of have these aspirations to be, you know, a university and be sort of all things to all people. And I think we're just seeing a lot of people really trying to like encourage leaders to think about like, okay, what's something that you have that nobody else does? Or what's something that you have that can really kind of juxtapose and be kind of in stark contrast to what is kind of increasingly becoming just you know, more common or kind of ubiquitous where the idea of like, I'm sure, you know, to your own extent, you are leveraging digital education opportunities, but it's not sort of like washing away again, all those sort of unique aspects of what makes Charleston special. It's like, because yeah, like everybody's just kind of dogpiling into being like, oh, we want all the online programs in the world. And that's all the things we're doing. And it's like, at a certain point, it's just gonna become so saturated and students aren't really gonna like, you know, pick you over somebody else, like for any reason, you know, it's all just kind of almost feel like sort of the same thing, I feel like. So it, it, it is just interesting dynamics there. And just, yeah, kind of refreshing to hear how much you've kind of embraced, you know, your liberal arts model and everything. Yeah. Yeah. In, in fact, you're exactly right. The first thing we did was we looked at what is our niche and, and what do our students want and and how can we be different and and one area that we thought 
our student want and and we can be we can stand out is really the personal attention to our students to to serving our students and our in person smaller in person classes that provide students a lot of personal time with their professors and in, in fact you know one thing that again during the pandemic really helped us uh, was uh, you know a lot of people around the country are basically uh, switching to online education completely closed down the entire campus and so forth as i said we only closed down for one and a half months and then opened back up in person and and at least hybrid lectures and and so i think that in person attention really helped our students to perform better. In fact, we have data that showed that during those couple of years, the pure online courses, students, many students couldn't handle. So um, yeah, that that is a a very important uh, point for us. Well, it happened again. Prospect Paul is excited about attending your institution, but is getting constantly confused by all the information and tasks he needs to complete to enroll, creating friction and even worse, melt. You knew this would happen again, which is why you've been flagging the need for a come-to-Jesus meeting with leadership from marketing admissions and IT to audit the digital experience for prospective students. Here's the problem. You're not going to convince Mark from marketing to let go of his automation software, Adriana from admissions just got set up with her new CRM, and Isabel from IT is still working through ticket requests from last Christmas. What if you could come to the table with a solution that didn't require anyone to let go of their software while at the same time ensuring a frictionless experience for prospects and current students alike? Well, my friend, guess what? Today's your lucky day. Meet Pathify, an innovative higher ed engagement hub that puts students at the center of their college journey. Pathify sits at the center of your school's digital ecosystem, being the single user experience interface tying together all systems, content, and communications. Their engagement hub elevates the information that matters most and pushes systems like the SIS behind the scenes where they belong, making it simpler for students to discover and engage with the opportunities your institution provides at every step of their higher ed journey, from prospect to alumni. What's even better, Pathify has a mobile experience that provides 100% parity with the responsive web app, so your campus app is always in sync. Pathify is a platform that every stakeholder on campus, from marketing to admissions to student affairs to IT, etc., can get equally excited about. Learn more about how Pathify is uniting strategic units across campus and bettering the entire student experience by visiting pathify.com, and be sure to tell them that Dustin from Hired Geek sent you their way. Yeah, and I guess as sort of a segue and sort of following up on that sort of piece is that like, you know, honoring that core sort of cultural value and mission of the liberal arts model, you know, how did you see digital transformation maybe sort of like supplementing that or supporting that? Because I guess that would maybe be the way, because I, I know I just wanted to ask like a very broad question of like how you saw digital transformation playing out at your campus. And I'm imagining that maybe that was like, a pretty big way, like you said, of like, you know, hybrid instruction options or just sort of, you know, different tools that would sort of augment, you know, what teachers are doing with their students in person. Yes, I, I think, you know, uh, we all know that technology is de- developing so rapidly and, and any campus, if, if uh, you, re- you neglect uh, that and it, or you ignore that, you ignore it at your own peril. So 
it's definitely an important area for us to invest in. And in fact, I, I would say that most of the campuses now compared to pre-COVID time, they probably are very different or, or look very different in terms of their technology usage because, you know, COVID really forced people to to start using more and more technology. And, and I think to us, where our focus is the in-person interaction, where we could really benefit is one, uh, student service and, and two, the availability of technology to our students. An example of, uh, for example, we recently, just this semester, introduced a chat box chatbot for our student services. And uh, it's a place where students can ask questions and get immediate answers 24-7. They can ask for advice, whatever their issues might be, whether you know it could be a student searching for help as it relates to their, their classes, their, their academic progress, or even their homework, but it could also be emotional issues, financial problems, and housing issues, etc. It's just, it's almost an all-knowing chatbot, but then within just a week of launch, we are really pleasantly surprised at the rate of usage and the feedback we receive from the students, and, and also uh, sort of the data that we collect, not at the personal level, but, but at, at the population level, uh, what are the, the issues that are uh, difficulties, challenges our students are facing. And, and the other technology elephant in the room, of course, is how generative AI is now affecting higher education. And that's not just how we teach but also what we teach, right? So it's not just as simple as, you know, catching students using ChatGPT to write an essay or, or anything like that, but it's, you know, how do you integrate ChatGPT or generative AI into your curriculum guardrails do you need to set up and how you need to teach differently because of the readily available availability of generative AI and their, its capability. So, you know, we just this past Tuesday, we had a Senate meeting and faculty Senate. And, and at the faculty Senate meeting, we asked faculty about uh, the incorporation of generative AI. Almost to a person, everyone now has a policy statement on their syllabi about the use of AI. And about one third of the faculty are incorporating generative AI into their curriculum, which uh, has really uh, increased exponentially since last semester. So it really is uh, incumbent uh, upon us as higher education professionals to be well-versed in new technology and see the best way to integrate it into our, both on the student services side, as well as the academic and curriculum side, whether that is advising or a class, classroom instruction 
or even home homework assignment. Yeah, I mean, I've, and I've always loved using chatbots for exactly what you're talking about. And even that idea of like, you know, how can we utilize tools like that to, like you said, identify trends and maybe just make sure that we get folks, you know, better connected to the on-campus resources and those sort of things. Like it doesn't even have to be that like, you know, everything is facilitated virtually or anything like that. It is just trying to simplify where it's like, hey, if you have something where it's like you can just text the bot or pull up an app or do whatever and get that answer versus trying to kind of dig around the website or do some other sort of, you know, kind of self-directed searching for the information that you're looking for. Yeah, you can just build that knowledge base and then start to, you know, I think a lot of people were talking about sort of amplifying it even further with AI. And then, like you said, there's a lot of implications for curriculum and everything. And I think just taking kind of Obviously, it's moving very quickly, but even like, you know, I think some people just in various kind of spaces are, they kind of jumped on it right away without even like really knowing maybe like the full sort of scope of things or what these platforms can do or the implications of kind of what they're saying that they were going to do. So I think it's even just like, like you said, sort of, you know, taking that moment with the faculty senate and kind of just talking about it, sort of getting a pulse check and just being kind of supportive of, yeah, making those syllabi changes and faculty kind of doing their research and seeing what feels right and not sort of like enforcing where it's like, okay, I guess everything is AI now. We're all just going to do everything all the time with it. It's like, it is, it's not there. Like it is not, you know, ready for prime time in that regard, but yeah, like it has its place and it'll, it'll keep getting better the more that we're using it. So it is just kind of like sprinkling it in, acknowledging that it exists and figuring out those policies and stuff. So that's yeah, all, all I think, yeah, the kind of stuff I think a lot of people are kind of grappling with and interfacing with in terms of the digital transformation of their campuses. So yeah, so that is uh, all interesting stuff. But I know there's another question. I'm just curious your perspective on it. Uh, I don't know if you have strong opinions, but just sort of another kind of big headline thing that I've been noticing a lot and hearing other folks talk about. It's just like the college presidency as, you know, a role, a sort of uh, thing that is increasingly becoming this kind of precarious revolving door, because I think there's just a lot of scrutiny, a lot of sort of, you know, accountability that's being held to presidents and everything. So just any perspectives on like why that is, you know, why now are we seeing that so many presidencies are just pretty short, you know, and they're just resigning for one reason or another. And like, do you think that anything can be done about that? Yeah, so certainly I, I've uh, thought about that topic a lot being in such a position myself and, and having witnessed many of my uh, colleagues, some of them even leaving after just half a year, certainly that that's uh, sort of high on um, many of us's minds. I, I think, it, you know, it's it's a stressful position to begin with, right? Because of the requirements of the job are so diverse and, and multi-layered. But I think two things that happened more recently, or at least in recent years, had made the job so much more difficult. And that's why it, it's becoming more precarious, as you described. So the, I, I think the first thing is the, the polarization of our society that has made the job much tougher. Before, you could never, this is a job where you you know coming in, you could never please anyone anyways, right? But now, increasingly, the, the society is so polarized on so many different issues 
which brings even more difficulty pushing people even further apart. And, and in the past, even though you can't please a, a everyone, you can still try to reach a compromise and, and people were still willing to, to sort of find common ground and so forth. But now the concept of compromising and, and willingness to find common ground seems like concepts from a bygone era. And, you know, nobody is willing to do that. And, and I think that made the, the job of a, a president, you know, if not impossible, at least very, very difficult. So in my mind, the search for a compromise is not a sign of weakness and, or moral decay. And, and that's how the society should work. But unfortunately, that's not how uh, we're approaching things anymore. And, and I think universities really need to do a better job of building bridges of understanding from opposing sides so that we can find pathways across the divide. And before that happens, I, I think the presidency is going to continue to <laughs> become ever more. I think as there's a second reason uh, that the job of a president is harder is that becoming increasingly more competitive. Uh, I, I know a, a lot of two-year colleges are struggling for enrollment and, and some even flagship state universities in certain states are having difficulties not having enough enrollment. And that uh, add to that the, the decrease over the years of state support and, and so forth. The, the result is that there's an increasing number of campuses are getting into financial difficulties. So that being said, there, there are a few leadership jobs, a university president, like a university president, in which you're so invested in your communities and, and for the greater good of the community and humanity. So I... I think, despite the fact that it's becoming ever more precarious and difficult, I still think that I have the best job ever. And there's, this is where you have a real opportunity to really make a difference in the lives of thousands and thousands of students around you. Yeah, well, that's very refreshing and endearing to hear that you're still really committed and excited to do the work. Because, yeah, like you said, it's just it's a hard job. Like that's just no matter what, even, you know, all these other sort of contextual factors, like that's always going to be true. And yeah, I mean, just for all those factors where it's like, you know, you're essentially kind of like the mayor of a town or something, you know, depending on what the size is. And it's like, you know, drawing a parallel like that, I think anybody can see where it's like, yeah, sometimes when stuff goes on and you like, you know, kind of overreach, or maybe you kind of box yourself in and you're being sort of ineffective because you, you know, just aren't managing compromise as well as you could have, or you're being too kind of reticent or something. It's like, yeah, they, they just kind of need to have somebody held accountable. And it's like, all right, I'll resign because I'm just, I'm not cutting it. So sorry. And, you know, you'll just go, you know, your separate ways. So we see a lot of those situations, I feel like in politics and just that idea that it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a very tight knit community. It's like you are just sort of the, the figurehead of it. And so if things are going, you know, wrong for one reason or another, like, cause yeah, just what you're saying makes me think of like some leaders will like bulldoze. Cause like, I have a strong vision. This is what we need to do. And that, that 
you know, backfires or they are trying to seek compromise and people are like, you're not going far enough. You're not moving fast enough. You're not that, you know, so it's like you do have to kind of keep trying to thread that needle of like, okay, we need decisive action here. That's what this moment calls for. And other times, like, again, maybe for like how you're implementing and utilizing AI on campus, it's like, I think we need to be a little bit more thoughtful about this. We really need to try to build some consensus and some coalitions here. So yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, like you said, a unique job, a stressful one, but one that you know, the, the the positive sort of impacts and the outcomes and sort of the, what you can accomplish with it is really incredible because it's like there's a reason why, you know, all these institutions of higher learning have been around for hundreds of years and everything. Like they are just kind of meant to stand the test of time and have been able to impact generations of people and keep trying to sort of expand and improve what they're doing. And you need somebody hopefully at the top that can have some longevity to kind of see things through that are going to take a little bit more time than just like one academic year or something. But we will we will wrap up as we always do. If you have just sort of a final thought, a call to action on the things that we've talked about, you know, digital transformation, the presidency, whatever is kind of on the top of your mind that you'd want to wrap the episode with. Well, thank you, Dustin. I, I really appreciate uh, this opportunity to talk uh, with you and and I have a, a, a very not very aspirational concluding remark, but uh, I would just simply want to encourage our listeners to check out the College of Charleston either online or in person. As I mentioned, we're traditionally a liberal arts institution. We are one of the oldest and most beautiful campuses. But not only that, we now are a very comprehensive university. We have new health sciences programs and engineering programs and, and business and, and so forth. All the, In addition to the traditional liberal arts programs, we have mostly every single professional program as well. So we're we're not just a beautiful campus or oldest university. We're actually a university on the rise with uh, great academic excellence. So whether it's our academic programming or our athletics success, there's really a lot of extraordinary things happening here. So I, I would encourage all, all the listeners to look us up. Yeah, I mean, you're you're proud of what you're building, you know, you want to show it off. And I mean, I, I know I always love visiting college campuses wherever I travel and stuff. So it's always always a treat to be able to do that. But yeah, I mean, and it's just that idea of like, education, I think there's always just a great sort of tendency towards sort of like show and tell sort of, you know, people kind of sharing what they're doing, what they're work, you know, working on, and, you know, how it's working. And yeah, that idea of like, yeah, go walk around or go peruse a website of like an institution, you might kind of, you know, just take some inspiration from the way that you're you know, honoring that core foundation and sort of, you know, liberal arts model and trying to kind of evolve it with, you know, those professional programs or just sort of the, you know, just trying to stay relevant and expanding that sort of interest or sort of your brand out into the wider country and world and everything. So yeah, I mean, I really appreciate you hanging out and sharing all that you did. And uh, yeah, we'll have ways to uh, connect with you and check out the College of Charleston in the uh, description for this episode. But um, yeah, just uh, really appreciate your time and perspective. Hey y'all, Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. 
Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.